0: We're going to continue now with our series on the book of John, and we're going to wrap up John chapter 17. We've been here a long time. It's just that it is so rich. I, I feel it's, it's kind of weird. I have all these notes I've been working on and taking notes for the past three or four weeks on John uh, 17, and I feel like almost half of them I'm not even, haven't used. I'm not going to use just because it's so d- deep and it's so rich. So we're going to continue, finish it up. We're going to hit on some things that we've talked about before, but just go a little deeper and give us uh, some ideas on, on who we are and why we're here and what's the purpose of the church. And I'm giving away right from the start. There's a mission of joy. That's John 17, 13 to 25. Let me, let me read that to you. Jesus is praying to God, his Father, and he's saying, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may truly be sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So John 17, what's going on? Jesus is praying to the Father. Jesus is about to die. He knows he's about to die. And I've mentioned this a number of times, I I know, but it's important for us to remember because he knows he's about to die, these are Jesus's last words in a sense. And when someone knows they're about to die, they talk about what's most important. Right. I guarantee you when I am close to death, I'm not going to be asking my kids or my wife, how are the how are the Washington commanders doing? Because I already know that question. (laughs) I know the answer to that question. Lousy. (laughs) It's, It's like fate. Right. When someone's about to die, they talk about the things that are most important. They talk about those they love. They talk to those they love. They give them their last wishes. They tell them what they think. And this is what's on the mind of Jesus. And the most beautiful part about this is, what is on the mind of Jesus as he's about to die? You. You are. Imagine that. You are. He's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for those who come to Christ through the message of the disciples, the message the disciples write down in the Bible. That's an amazing thing. He's thinking of you, of us. And he's praying. And in his prayer, there's this depth. There's teaching. In great prayer, there is always teaching. And Jesus is doing, he's talking about what is the purpose of the church? What is it here for? In our culture, we are obsessed with identity. Identity. Who are we? What are we for? What are we doing in this world? It occurs at all kinds of levels. It it could be ethnic identity. It could be national identity. It could be personal identity. It could be religious identity. There's all kinds of things. And in this passage, in this prayer, Jesus emphasizes who we are as believers and as a part of the the church, what the church is, what our identity is, what are we here for, why the church exists, where is it going, what is it doing, And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and by that I mean you've submitted to him as your Savior and you've decided to live for him with your life, then what does it mean for you to be a part of the church? The, the, The church global and the church here specifically at First Church in Newport News, Virginia. And I want to show you a few things. First of all, I want you to see something. We're going to kind of lay some foundation here. Everyone is on a mission. We're talking about a mission and everyone is on a mission. It's inevitable because we're made for it. You are made to live for something great. And so what happens is we try to figure out what's great enough to live for. Jesus emphasizes this all through the gospel. He emphasizes it here and multiple times when he uses the word sent. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world All right, so he's saying in the same way that you sent me with a purpose, I've sent them with the same purpose. We are the sent ones. We get this word mission from the Latin word missio, and missio means sent. And so you'll hear this all the time. A lot of churches will talk about this, but this is very key for us. Mission means that there's a goal that you're willing to work for, that you're willing to sacrifice for sacrifice resources, sacrifice comfort, sacrifice even at times safety to obtain that goal. That's what mission is. And we see this all the time. We see people who have a mission. Some of you are runners, all right? I don't totally understand runners, but I respect them because they have this mission. They run. They run long distances, they don't cry when they're doing it like I did when I ran long distances. One time um, at the Thanksgiving table, my son Cody, he announced to us that he was gonna run an ultra marathon in six months. And the supportive, loving father that I am, I just laughed out loud uh, because it struck me as, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the whole family just chimed in, why? And I said, Cody, let me just ask you this. Have you run a marathon? No. Aha. So you're skipping the easy stuff to go right to the hard stuff. You know, he sacrificed resources to train. He sacrificed time and money and comfort. He trained in the Philadelphia area in rain and snow through the winter. I mean, even at personal, I mean, I just, for me, is personal risk. When I start running any kind of a distance, I start having trouble breathing. My body is screaming at me to stop, and I want to obey what my body tells me. So I generally stop and just walk distances rather than, than run them. And he, he did it. He sacrificed, and he ran it, and he finished it. It was a great accomplishment, and, and, and I was very impressed, And a few days later, I called him, we were talking, and I said, so, man, are you going to do it again? And he said, I never want to run again. I said, okay, all right, that's my son. Okay, we're back to normal. But see, people are driven by something, and they will sacrifice for it. It becomes a mission. They will do a lot to accomplish it. Maybe your mission was to start a business or is to start a business. You will sacrifice finances for that. You will sacrifice time for that. You will take a risk. There will be a risk. See, a mission is essentially something you will sacrifice for, a goal that you will sacrifice for, something you will go all in for. You know, in the parable of the treasure, Jesus says the man went and he sold everything he had so that he could buy it. And it says he did it joyfully. He did it with joy because mission can bring this incredible joy It can bring, it's something that, well, it's because we're made for it. Now, in our culture, mission is determined by each of us individually. I define who I am. I define what I am about. I define what has meaning for me. That's what our culture tells us. But here's the problem. You know, you can define who you are, what you're about. You can define what your mission is. And you may even find something that you love doing. But here's the thing. Here's the problem, because it doesn't answer the question that is the important question. Does your mission matter? Does it matter? Right? If your mission is to, is to accumulate lots of finances and live comfortably, what will that matter in the long run? There's this thing I read uh, the other day about a, a Christian uh, a man who started a, a huge business, m- multi billion-dollar business, and um, he's giving it away, and he was saying, I can just see how coming into wealth easily is ruinous to people, so I'm not going to give it to my kids or my grandkids because I love them. I'm sure some of them are going, really? (laughs) Really? Really? But it's so interesting because he he said, look, this this could be a great mission, but it will ruin you. It can ruin you. And so this is what people have always wrestled with. Does my life mean anything? Or am I simply entertaining myself? Am I simply occupying myself until I die? Because that's where a lot of people are at. They live living for me until I die, and then it's all over. But what if it isn't? That's the haunting question, right? That's what people struggle with. So we see all kinds of people live with some kind of a mission. We live according to some kind of story that helps us make sense of our lives. We're seeking to prove our worth. I'm somebody. Remember the original Rocky movie, that classic of... of uh, film, um, and, and he's training, and, 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 and his girlfriend and others are concerned, and he admits freely he's not planning to win. He just says, I just want to go the distance so that I won't be just a bum. If I can go the distance with the champ, I'm somebody. And if you know that story, he's a bum, He's he's, he's working for some shady characters as an enforcer and all this. And he has this sense that his life means nothing. And he he gets this golden opportunity to fight against the the world champion as just a a nobody from from Philadelphia. And he's just like, if I can just go the distance, I will be somebody. That's that's what's going on all around us. That's what can go on in our own hearts. I don't want to be a bum. I just want to be somebody. And so our culture tells us you have to fulfill, fulfill yourself. You're responsible to figure out what your fullest potential is and then achieve it. Only you know what is what is right for you. You have to express your impulses so that you can be authentically you. And this is framed as freedom. The freedom to be your authentic self. I, I read a lot, and I, and I read uh, books and ones that you know, are written by different people and different, different things. And I, I tell you, every time I read somebody who starts talking about this whole idea of you being the authentic you, I'm like, oh, for crying out loud, this is so overused. It's just bleh, right? And they frame it as freedom to be your authentic self. But the reality is it's an incredible burden and it leads to hopelessness. In some of my readings, and, and, and I, see, I see things where people just speak the truth. Franz Kafka is an atheist who uh, just dealt with life and finding some sort of meaning in life. And his ultimate decision was there is none. And he said, This I am free, and that's why I'm lost. He says, I figured out how to be free, to get out from underneath everything, and I'm lost. It's hopeless. And and if you read his books, it just comes through, this sense of hopelessness and and meaninglessness and the worthlessness of life. And so we're fed this story that there's freedom over here. And it turns out when we get to where the freedom is, it becomes something we never wanted. Faustian bargain. It eats away at us. It leaves us hopeless. We have a society that is the freest society in the world. And it is dominated by anxiety and people who feel feel unfulfilled. Why? Why so unfulfilled? Because they, and if it's you, it's you. You're meeting your own needs. Satisfying own appetites. Doing what is simply in the best interests of me. And when these are the most important things in life, by definition, you won't be making much of a difference in this world or in other people's lives. If the focus is you, you can't, you're not doing stuff for other people. It's all about you. And you may have a comfortable life. You maybe have the life you've always dreamed of, but there will be no deep meaning in it until your life centers on a mission that's outside of you, greater than you. There's no joy There's no deep joy from living for your own personal needs. Because living for you ultimately makes you feel less significant, not more. And unfortunately, this is where many Christians are at. Simply living for themselves and believing I have this kind of insurance policy for eternity. And I just say, for people who are on thin ice, it's a dangerous place to be. So everyone's on a mission. We're made that way. Second thing is, there's two things that mission needs. All right? We kind of talked about that, but let me, let me uh, read you the scripture. I have given them your word and the word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. The first thing that mission needs is sacrifice. This is, this is key. Great mission always involves sacrifice. Jesus followers. They belong to God. They don't belong to the world. Think about that. You belong to God. You don't belong to the world. This is not home. So that means our priorities, things we think are important, will not always belong to this world. And that will lead to misunderstanding. That will lead, at times, to conflict. And Jesus says, I want you to stay in the world and serve the world. It's like I remember when Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee and he healed that man in in Gennesaret. And and it was interesting because the man, I want to come with you. And Jesus says, no, you stay here. You stay here. Tell everyone what's happened to you. And the next time Jesus crossed that sea to that same place, it says he, he was met by thousands of people who had heard of the man. They'd heard of him. You stay here. You stay in this world. And he's saying to each one of us, I have you here for a purpose. I have you here for a mission. You're not here to accumulate things and use up air. You're here for a purpose, and and there's meaning in it. And so that means we have to realize we won't always be understood. Because we're supposed to be like Jesus, and he definitely was not always understood. He wasn't hateful towards people, but he disagreed with them. So it means that Christians believe there's more to life than this world alone. More to, more to life than just this material universe. And what does that mean then? Suddenly you won't become as materialistic as consumer, uh, consumeristic. Is that a word? I don't even know. I'm sure some teachers will inform me afterwards. As co- consumeristic, I can't even say it. As those around you, you'll suddenly not quite be that way. You will see that life is not all about collecting things for yourself. And you will become, as you begin to understand your mission more, someone who says, I'm willing. I'm willing to give time. I'm willing to give energy. I'm willing to give finances. I'm willing to sacrifice. Because as a Christian, when you begin to realize and really begin to learn and live that you are the undeserving, undeserving recipient of God's generosity and kindness, You have received generosity, kindness, grace, mercy that you did not deserve. And when you begin to grapple with that and feel it and see it and own it, what happens is you begin to have this generosity, this hospitality that is about you to others. Christians believe that every human being is created in the image of God. Therefore, There is a fundamental dignity in any person, regardless of what they believe, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their way of life, regardless of their political persuasion. There is a fundamental dignity because we are made in the image of God, and we are to be the people who respect that fundamental dignity. I think it's tragic sometimes when I see in social media, and, and, and in the news, sometimes when Christians rejoice that something horrible has happened to another person, how can a person who's truly a follower of Jesus Christ rejoice in that? How can that happen? I don't think it can. So what happens is then as you change, you can't become hostile towards those who don't share your particular views or your way of life. You won't alienate those who have a different cultural background or religious beliefs than you do. You will become more charitable, more open, more serving, more loving. Because as a follower of Christ, in some ways, we don't fit into any camp that's around us in our culture. We don't quite fit with anyone. Because we're on God's mission. And God's mission at times will be misunderstood. So there's sacrifice. And there will be misunderstanding. That's why we need the second part of the two things mission requires, and that's protection. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He's specific about what kind of protection he's talking about here. He says, we're not part of the world anymore. We're citizens of heaven. That automatically means we're vulnerable any country, if you're in a country and you're not a citizen, you are by definition more vulnerable than a person who is a citizen. That's just the way it is. And Jesus prays for protection because the mission can be dangerous and protection from the evil one. Now, I know in our day, if we start talking about some sort of an evil in this world that that is personal and, and, and uh, will attack people, it it's something that people think is superstitious or archaic or maybe even regressive, but I don't think so. Our world s- screams at us that there is evil every day. Just the headlines alone. <clears throat> the other week, we had our, one of our missionaries, Phil Flowers, who worked with Ukrainian refugees. And Phil, Phil said something that caught my attention. and He said... Um, when, when the uh, Russians move into and, and take over new areas in Ukraine, the first thing they do is go to the evangelical church, arrest the pastor, and close the church or, or burn it down. And he was just saying, time after time, that's the first thing they do. There is this pointed persecution of followers of Jesus Christ. And so I kind of did some reading on that. And I, didn't, I learned I didn't realize in 2016, Russia signed a law that if you spoke of your faith outside of the building you worship in, you're a terrorist. And they enforce it mainly in Crimea, Crimea and uh, eastern Ukraine. And so that missions organizations know of hundreds of pastors who either were killed or they've disappeared there is this persecution that is very specific and pointed and deadly to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is organized and it is evil. There is evil in this world that's against the mission But what is the threat that Jesus specifically says? There can be lots of threats. But what is the threat um, Jesus specifically says? He says this, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that you may have the full measure of joy. They may have the full measure of joy within them. Jesus is talking about one of the very specific things that the evil one is going to try to take. And it's the joy that is supposed to be ours in Christ. He wants to take away your joy. He wants you to do this. He wants you to simply exist. Just exist. Just collect things. Breathe air. Function. Experience pleasures around one at a time. But nothing sustained or ongoing. This goes back to what Jesus has been talking about in the whole book of John. There's two kinds of life. There's bios which is just living and existing biological life. And there's zoe, and Jesus talks about zoe, he links eternal to it, an eternal life. And zoe means a life that has meaning and purpose and joy. And the evil one wants you to just have bios. Just live, just function, eat, drink, go to the bathroom, have sex, have kids, accumulate stuff that's just by us. And Jesus says, I got something bigger for you. It's called Zoe, eternal life, eternal, purposeful, meaningful, joyful life. That's what I have for you. And that's what he wants to take away from you. The evil one. So that when you encounter an obstacle in your life, if you're just biased, you will cave and see it as insurmountable, rather than seeing it as an opportunity to grow and see Jesus work. The absence or the presence of joy, of hope, will determine how you ultimately go in those situations. Because hardships will either cripple you and make you angrier and more cynical, or they will, in a weird way, empower you to become sweeter and more loving and more empathetic. That's the difference between zoe and bios. And so when you encounter tragedy or sorrow or loss, the goal of the evil one is the permanent loss of your joy. And that's why I love Hebrews 12. I talk about it probably too much, but I talk about I love it because Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, What motivated Jesus in his darkest hour? The joy that was coming. And we find out, what is that joy? It's you. It's you. I don't know how this works, but I think it's true. On the cross, as Jesus was on that cross, he saw you. He saw me. He thought of you. He thought of me. He died for you. Died for me. That was what was going on. Who, for the joy set before him, endured, endured the cross. Jesus did this his whole life, but especially at the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll get to this later. But at the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the mouth of hell opens before him, and he sees fully what's coming, and he begins to feel it, and he's shocked and he's horrified. Very strange, strong words. And his first thought, is there any way of getting out of this? And here's the thing. We don't think about this very much. There was a way out. He could. Matthew, Matthew 26 tells us he could have called 12 legions of angels. He could have called 12 legions of angels and said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. There was a way out. But he realized that way out didn't lead to the joy that he had planned. Think about how tempting that must have been. Do you ever think about, I, oh, I'm weird. I think about that stuff all the time. I think about the Pharisees and the way they mocked and insulted Jesus. And I always think if I was Jesus, you know, they'd have said something smart and I got, phew, pile of dust. What else do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> Any more smart alecks here? You know, that's the way I would be. That's why I'm not Jesus. That's why it's, yours. it's so good for all of us, especially you, that I'm not God. Because I know what you're thinking. Psh, yeah, you're looking at, you're looking at football. Psh, you know, i get you all right here, in the, right here at church. Not that I'm bitter or anything. <laughs> but he knew this wasn't the Father's will. And he knew, and, and, he, and he says this, this won't fulfill scripture. This is what I've been planning. Since Genesis 1, or Genesis 2, 3, 4, this is what I've been planning. I want to fulfill scripture. I want to do what's right for the joy set before him. The joy at the end of the mission kept him on mission. So everyone's on mission. Two things that missions need sacrifice, mission needs is sacrifice and protection. And what's the key to mission? This is how we stay on mission. This is how we stay protected from the evil one. We talked about this some uh, two weeks ago, but I want to just get in a little bit more about it because it's this matter of the truth. Jesus relies heavily. He He says it a lot. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he's saying, this is so important, truth. The truth, what is the truth? That I'm in you, you're in me, and they're in us. What will that truth do? He says, the world will start to believe. People will begin to believe. They will see it, and they will believe. It's so fashionable in our day to say, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as it works for you. But here's the problem. You know, if you really think that through, what that means is we're going to set up stuff by whatever the people with the most power say. It's like the old playground thing, right? Going, I remember when I was a little kid going to a kid and just saying, hey, dude, man, you've been on that swing for so long. Give other people a chance. I want to swing on that swing. And it was just a little kid, you know, so I was feeling my oats. And I said, uh, I'm going to punch you in the nose. So get off the swing. And he said something, and he yelled, and his big brother came over. I was like, oh, crap. And he's like, what's going on here? I said, well, you know, it's kind of fair. We should share the swing. And he looks at me, and he goes, says who? See, power becomes the authority. Whoever's the majority, whoever has the power, they make the rules. And the rules change based on power. But Jesus says there's a truth that doesn't change. There's a right and wrong. There's justice that doesn't change. What, whoever's in power, it doesn't matter who's in power. It gives us direction, it gives us joy. Martin Luther King Jr. tapped into this when he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And when he wrote and he gave, he, he spoke and it, it, it was a sermon when he spoke to the, uh, um, for, at the receiving of the Nobel Peace Prize to the Nobel Academy. And basically, he went back to the Old Testament and he said, there is a God of justice and there is a truth that does not matter who's in charge or who's not in charge because God is going to... And he said, it's going to roll like waters. This, this justice is coming. And he, what, he tapped into that. He brought... He, just what Jesus is saying. There is a truth that is true regardless who has the power. There is a truth that gives us direction for life. There is a truth that leads to true joy. A number of years ago, um, my wife and I, we went to uh, Philadelphia to visit our son and our daughter-in-law. And uh, we went to a concert by the Philadelphia uh, Philharmonic uh, Orchestra. And it was at a huge outdoor amphitheater. These things have become real popular. This is when they were first happening. Um, and what they did is they, they, they showed on these big screens all over uh, A New Hope. The first, I know it's episode four, but it's the first Star Wars movie. It's the best Star Wars movie. It's the one that everyone recognizes that. So, um, And they played the soundtrack in this big, you know, shaped stage area they played the soundtrack while the movie ran and it was this huge open area there are thousands of people there thousands can you imagine what an incredible just it's like thousands of star wars nerds just like me and some of them dressed up and we all brought food and we all sat on the grass and it was just, just so cool it was amazing It was amazing to hear the music, the beautiful music of that movie live in sync. I don't know how it must be so hard to do. They they perfectly in sync with with the movie and uh, just and watching it like that and just enjoying it. Just all these seemingly normal people who wanted to revisit one of the stories that shaped them when they were younger. And there weren't a whole lot of young people was a lot of old people. And I was just, I was digging it. It was so great. And, they, and, they, and, they, and this story, because it had an impact, this story about good and evil, you know, Jedi and, and, and darkness and, and light and all of this stuff. And it all centered around this story that every single person there loved. It was so cool. It was like, we we're all like, we have this, and we all talk to each other. You could talk to people because you knew. You're here for what, we both love this. We're okay talking. I don't know who you are but I'm not worried about talking to you because we're nerds. We love this. And I remember sitting there as I was playing and thinking and everybody cheering at one point and laughing at one point, just all, we all knew the movie by heart. And I said, this is church for Star Wars nerds. That's what's going on here. We are recentering on a story that we love. And enjoying it together. We're here this morning. We have something in common. That makes it not just we're not strangers. We're brothers and sisters. Right? We have something in common. We are centering or we are recentering, on the story of Jesus and his joy. We're doing that. God created the world out of joy. Out of the joy of the Trinity, this was lost through our desire to be in charge. And throughout the Old Testament, God is outlining his path back to that joy. Jesus' birth, right? Remember? Angels singing. We bring you good tidings of great joy. Jesus' birth was this time of incredible joy. And now, interestingly, here he is looking into the face of death And what is he talking about? Joy. He's talking about joy. How much he wants us to have this joy that he has with his father. So the purpose of the mission, the purpose for which Jesus came, the purpose for which the church exists is this, joy. A joy that comes from being grounded in the truth. We are here to spread that joy. And a big way we do it is we spread the truth by living it so that people see it. They're drawn. They believe for their salvation. We as a church are charged with being the joy in the spheres, our spheres of influence. Everyone here, you have a sphere of influence. Everyone here, you go places that I don't go. You work in places I don't work. So you have influence there that I don't have. And you have influence there that maybe, some, uh, maybe nobody else here has. You have families that are not my family. You have an influence there. You have spheres of influence that are totally different from everyone else and you're charged with going and being the joy in that sphere of influence. And we are tempted so often to occupy our lives with missions that do not satisfy and ultimately fail. But the thing I think here is that Jesus says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. You are the joy that Jesus fixed on when he went through the horror of the cross. And not just Jesus, but also the Father This passage, you've you've probably heard a lot. The Lord your God, and we're talking as a prophetic passage, talking about Jews as they come back to God. I want you back, I want you back, I want you back. I love you, but it applies to all of us. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And that word exult is this word to just go crazy. When I was a little kid, um, I, was, I was born in Washington, D.C., and when I was a little kid, my dad took me to a football game to see Washington, and uh, Sonny Jurgensen was playing. Yeah, I'm that old, right? Okay, some of you are like, who is Sonny Jurgensen? Did he ever play football? Yes. And they were playing the Dallas Cowboys. Wow. Satan incarnate. So, um, At the last minute, last three minutes, Sonny Jurgensen organizes this drive down the field, just throwing the ball like a wild man. They score, and the game ends. And we're in uh, RFK Stadium. 50,000 people start jumping up and down, screaming their heads off, exulting with joy. So much so that this concrete stadium started going, and I was just like, I just remember as a kid going, is, is this safe? The earth is moving. <laughs> I didn't know it was just the stadium. And then everybody starts, and, and all of a sudden it starts going, gong, 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 and you're, you're bouncing. And it's hard to imagine. God does that for you. He goes crazy. I don't know how that works. But it says that you're his joy. And he exults over you. He stands up and cheers. He screams. He raises his hand. He goes, yes, yes, yes. He looks at you and goes, we're number one. You know, something like, I might not be, I shouldn't do that. So anyways, i myself in trouble. His, his joy for you knows no bounds. He exults over you. You are the Father's joy. You were created for this. In... Uh, You know I have to go here, right? Lord of the Rings. There's one part where it seems like the end is near. Pippin is talking to Gandalf. And Gandalf, at one point, where they're talking, and he chuckles. And and Pippin glanced at, says, Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face now close beside his own. The sound of that laugh had been gay and merry. Yet in the wizard's face, he saw only at first lines of care and sorrow. Though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all there was a great joy. Under all of it, there was a great joy. A fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing, were it to gush forth. See, we have, even in difficult times, we have something. This is not all there is. This is not the end. And when you leave this place, I want to challenge you. Think, who do I know that needs joy? Who can I serve? Who can I support? Who can I love on? Who can I invite to church with me? Who can I, you know, who who is it? it, Because it's different for every one of us. It's those spheres of influence. It's different people from every one of us. You might be in school, and there's that, that person that's just so annoying. Nobody likes them. Maybe they need joy. It might be at work, the obnoxious coworker that you're constantly just ticked off at. It may be family, somebody that's hurt you deeply. I don't know what it is for you. It's different for all of us. But who needs joy in your life? Who needs love in your life? Who needs to be served and supported? and shown that they have significance because they're created in the image of God. I'll leave you thinking with that. Father, thank you for this time. God, thank you for your word. It is truth. And as we study the truth, Lord, at times we're convicted. It might even make us feel guilty. But Lord, under all of that is because You have this desire for us to experience this incredible joy of being your child, your daughter, your son, and then living that out. Lord, help us to see that this is more important than anything else we do on this earth. Father, help us to give perspective on these things. Help us to learn from the example of Jesus. As he faced death, his concern was us. And our joy. And as we leave this place, Lord, we would be people who show in the way we talk, the way we act, the way we serve, the way we love, show that we are sons and daughters of the King of the universe. For it's in the name of your Son who purchased all of this for us as our champion that we pray. Amen.